This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. issuesetc.org. A seemingly odd headline from the Religion News Service. For today's Mormons, it's food storage light from two years to one year to six months to three months. Food storage requirements aren't what they used to be for Latter-day Saints. John Arise, the author of the article, goes on to talk about this may mean a liberalizing of the theology and practice of Mormonism. Is that true? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about changing food storage requirements for Mormons, if you even knew that they had requirements, Bill McKeever, he's founder of Mormonism Research Ministry based in Draper, Utah, author of several books, including, in their own words, a collection of Mormon quotations and Mormonism 101. Bill, welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me. What place does food storage, oddly enough, have in Mormon theology and practice? Well, it can be traced back to probably the middle of the 19th century. There are some statements made by LDS leaders that they were encouraging members to have storage, although the reason for it probably has changed a little bit over the years, depending on which Latter-day Saint that you talk to. Let me give you this example. Joseph Smith, the founder of the LDS movement, shortly after the church was founded, predicted that there would be a time coming very shortly, he said, when sword, famine, and pestilence are approaching, and there would be great destructions upon the face of this land. Now, he really doesn't admonish the members at that time to start hoarding food, but we do find around in the 1850s, you have, for instance, an LES leader by the name of Heber C. Kimball encouraging people to store a seven years supply of food. And this statement about having a seven year supply, there was another leader, George A. Smith, another member of the first presidency, who also recommended that members poured seven years of food. That sounds pretty impractical, especially in this modern year. I mean, how are people going to store that kind of food on their property, especially if you live in an apartment or a very small home with a very small property? But they still encourage members to store food. The difference you might say is how much are they supposed to store? As late as the mid-2000s, 2006, there was an article in the Ensign magazine that was still encouraging members to store a year's worth of food. And that's been somewhat the number that most members have tried to reach, the goal, I should say. How would you describe Mormon eschatology? Well, they certainly do have an eschatology. It's not something you often hear in general conference. The most you may hear is they do believe that Jesus is coming back. They don't normally use words like evangelicals would use, like rapture or things like that, but they do talk about the second coming. I've noticed that 17th president, Russell M. Nelson, he has said more about 
the second coming that I've heard most LDS leaders say in recent years, but it is something that they do definitely believe in. I would say that most of the details regarding their eschatology can be found in a manual, a very popular manual that the LDS Church provides. It's called Gospel Principles. It was last revised in 2009. But in chapters 43 and 44, they talk about the signs of the second coming. And when you read it at face value, it probably would sound to us as being very similar, at least in the wording, that most evangelicals would probably hold to, although there are some different nuances that certainly are very unique. But they do have a section in this chapter talking about wickedness, war, and turmoil. And this is where you find that statement from Joseph Smith, where he's talking about something that these perilous times must shortly come, sword, famine, and pestilence. They also have the coming forth of the restored gospel of Mormonism. That would be a part of their eschatology, even though at the time this is being taught, naturally that's already something that has come forth. But they do predict the gospel being preached to all the world. And of course, we have to understand in LDS context, that would be the restored gospel that is unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Certainly their gospel, when you look at the different aspects of it, is very different than what we would say the New Testament gospel entails. And of course, their gospel came forth from the lips of Joseph Smith and has been carried on through his successors. They also talk about the coming of Elijah, but yet, according to them, that already took place. That took place in April of 1836 when Joseph Smith claimed that the prophet Elijah appeared to him in Kirtland, Ohio. So there's a lot of things that they believe are going to happen, such as the building of the New Jerusalem. And of course, that was very significant in early Mormon times to be in Missouri. You don't often hear things like this in general conference anymore, even though it is still found in their manuals. If you know where to look, you can find these descriptions. And these are things that Latter-day Saints are expected to believe. Do current-day Mormons put less emphasis on their eschatology? You know, that's a great question. I guess officially I would have to say no, but on a street level, I don't hear Latter-day Saints bring that up. Of course, when I'm witnessing to a Mormon on the streets or in an email, that's not usually the first thing I'm going to bring up either. I want to deal with where they are in light of eternity right now. But I can't recall in all my years of talking with Latter-day Saints of any of them bringing up any of the details, at least none of the details that I've just related to you. It's not something that I hear most Mormons talk about other than they do believe Jesus is coming back. Do we know how many Mormons still practice food storage? Well, I don't know if there's an official tally on that, but let me just tell you a personal story. When I was moving to Salt Lake back in 2004, naturally we were looking for a home to buy. And so our real estate agent was taking us around to various houses that were within our price range. And I found it quite fascinating that in many of the homes that we went to, when we went down into the basement, that there was a room set aside many times and there were shelves and stacks of plastic 
containers and lots of beans and rice and things like that. So at least in the homes that I went into, when we had the opportunity to look in some of the nooks and crannies of that house, yes, they had food stored in their homes. I'm certainly not against anybody wanting to prepare for hard times, whatever that may be, a a natural calamity or whatever. I guess the biggest problem that I've always had is how the LDS church for many years seemed to brag about it. And I thought, you know what, if you're saving all this food, I don't think it's really wise to tell everybody Because if you do run into some very difficult times and there's anarchy going on, you have just made yourself a target. If you want to do it, fine. But boy, don't talk about it to a lot of people. Certainly don't brag about it. But unfortunately, for many years, the church did. And when I made that statement years ago, I remember a Latter-day Saint getting mad at me like I was putting ideas in people's heads. And I'm thinking, no, fallen man can come up with these ideas without me helping them, that's for sure. But again, I'm not against them storing food or preparing for the proverbial rainy day. It's just not something you want to brag about. Bill McKeever is our guest. He's founder of Mormonism Research Ministry based in Draper, Utah. We're talking about changing food storage requirements for Mormons. On the other side, why have Mormon leaders reduced the amount of recommended food storage? Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life, lutheransforlife.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Ask, Seek, Knock, Jesus and Beelzebub, and Keep It, Sign of Jonah, and The Light in You. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. 
We're talking about changing food storage requirements for Mormons. Bill McKeever, founder of Mormonism Research Ministry, is our guest. Bill, why do you think Mormon leaders have reduced the amount of recommended food storage for the faithful? I would probably think it has a lot to do with economics and space availability. There's a page on the LDS website that talks about food storage. It does mention three months storage, but it doesn't necessarily say that that should be all you should have. It kind of gives you the hint that you should work up to three months and then slowly add to it after that. So even though we're not hearing much about storing food for one year, it's not like they're saying that you shouldn't have that as at least a potential goal. But it could be because, like I said earlier, it's very difficult to store a year's worth of food, especially if you're living in an apartment. And if you're on limited means, definitely it would be difficult to store that much food. One of the things I found interesting about the RNS column is the author kind of put this issue, food storage among Mormons, in the framework of liberalizing Mormonism is the reduction of food storage, is that a liberalizing of Mormonism, as the RNS op-ed suggests? Yeah, I don't know where Jana Reese gets that. That's got to be probably just her personal opinion on that. I don't know if most Latter-day Saints would share that. Perhaps, I guess, but I think it's just one opinion among many. As Mormonism gets further from its historic roots, and especially from those early founders, is it more difficult to maintain these practices of a bygone era? That's a good question, because when it comes to getting further from its historic roots, I guess we would almost have to define what does that really mean, at least to a Latter-day Saint, because a lot of the historic roots, especially when it comes to the rise of Joseph Smith, the claim that there was a complete apostasy on the face of the earth, the idea that the LDS church is the only true church on earth and that their spokesmen are the only ones that speak for God, at least their prophet who speaks for God on every subject, that's still very much a part of LDS theology and history. I don't see much of an abandonment of that. I don't really see a real abandonment of the doctrines that have always placed Mormonism outside of the umbrella of Christianity. It's not that guys like Russell M. Nelson haven't been talking more about Jesus. And I'm noticing in a lot of their conference messages and some of the articles that they write for their periodicals, they're throwing Jesus in more and more and more and more. But yet they've always had a very heretical view of who Jesus is. And that's not changing. I don't see any course correction in that. But I think they are running up against this cultural tug, especially that's being put forth by many of their younger members to want to move more into the direction of what our culture deems as being acceptable. I think some of the leadership, well, when you consider that many of them are in their 80s and 90s, they're having a difficult time with this. And I don't know if they're ready really to handle this. Certainly, they don't combat it with much scripture. At least I haven't heard a lot of scripture being used to support some of the more traditional positions of the LDS church. But I think they are going to have themselves a real fight on their hands when it comes to these younger members in the church as they tend to grow and start taking positions of power, at least on the local level. More generally, how would you describe the movement to liberalize Mormonism? 
I think it's really there. I think, as I said, it's probably more among a lot of the younger members, maybe your millennials, your Zs and such, but it's definitely there. Jana Reese, who certainly does not fall into the category, I don't think, of being a millennial or a Z. I think she's older than that. But she certainly holds to more liberal ideas as far as wanting same-sex marriage to be normalized in the LDS church and things like that. Is she a majority? I would say no. I, I would think the great majority of LDS members are still more conservative when it comes to social views, especially when you consider that a lot of the new converts coming into the LDS church are coming from countries like South America and Africa who tend to hold to more conservative views. A lot of the wackiness that we're seeing in the LDS church, it's usually Americans that are doing it, which when you look at our culture, yeah, we are in a really weird situation right now. It's kind of crazy. Do you think that the recent support of the LDS Church for the Respect for Marriage Act is a sign of Mormonism's liberalizing? I do see it as a sign of having to capitulate to some point. I don't know if it's really showing a liberal shift or direction, but I'll tell you, that was really confusing for me. That announcement that they came out behind House Bill 8404, I was kind of surprised by that because I don't think that would have been something you would have seen, especially when, let's say, Spencer W. Kimball was president and he was the 12th president of the church. And you consider that Russell M. Nelson is 17. You can see that there's been a lot in between, though some were presidents longer than others. That's for sure. Some were very short. But I don't know. It's a great question. I think the struggle that the leadership of the church is going to have is how are they going to respond to some of the challenges that, let's say, a lot of their younger members are going to present to the church? And, and let's be serious, that all starts on a very local level. They're going to be dealing with more the bishops and stake presidents and people like that. They're not going to go directly to the top. You may hear some vocal activists trying to make the leadership change by being vocal about it, but I don't know if most of them are going to do that. I think it's going to be more influence on a local level, and then that's going to pick up steam. Bill McCaver is founder of Mormonism Research Ministry based in Draper, Utah, author of several books, including In Their Own Words, a collection of Mormon quotations, and Mormonism 101. You'll find a link to these books and to Mormonism Research Ministry at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Bill, thanks. My pleasure. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy joins us. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. The gospel reading for that coming Sunday is The Laborers in the Vineyard. It's about grace, although it is a story about work, too. We'll be right back. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., 
is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 5th.